Welcome to CLT Alliance Talks, a podcast on business topics, information, and tools focused on building an economy for all in the Charlotte region. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Bost with the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance. Welcome to the CLT Alliance Talks podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with a couple of friends of the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance. We'll be talking with Senator Mushtaba Mohammed and Senator Danny Britt. Now, before we jump in and get to the content today, let me introduce you to both of them. First, Senator Mohammed. Mushtaba was born in the United States to two hardworking immigrant parents from India and raised under modest means. Mushtaba's mom and dad taught him the importance of putting family before self, helping others, and appreciating the simple blessings in life. It was this belief in giving priority to family and community that led Mushtaba to pursue a career in public interest law and a life dedicated to serving those in need. In addition to defending the rights of the underprivileged in the courtroom and fighting to connect low-income families to the services they need every day, Mushtaba continues to demonstrate his commitment to children and families through his work on the board of directors of local nonprofit organizations, such as Council for Children's Rights and Larry King's Clubhouse Children's Care Center. When he's not fighting to strengthen our communities, Mushtaba spends his time raising his beautiful family with his lovely wife, Saba, in Charlotte. Senator Britt. Senator Britt was born in Robeson County to a mother who is a retired textile worker and to a father who is a state employee. He grew up spending his summers in tobacco fields where he learned how to work hard and make a living. Danny enlisted in the North Carolina Army National Guard after high school and went on to play football at Appalachian State University. After college, he got a law degree and came back home to Robeson County to work in a small law office. Danny later became a prosecutor in the Robeson County District Attorney's Office. Danny was deployed to Iraq and later Kuwait and currently holds the rank of Lieutenant Colonel after 20 years of service. Today, Danny owns his own law firm and lives in Lumberton with his wife, Jill, a public school teacher with their two children. He continues to serve the North Carolina National Guard. We're fortunate to have a few minutes today with Senators Muhammad and Britt, so welcome. Thanks for having me here. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having us. Great to be here with the Alliance. Thank you guys again for, for joining us. Um, Senator Muhammad, I want to start with you and just kind of talk about the state of play um, to kick things off. So the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance is the voice of business for the Charlotte region. We believe that driving racial equity in the business community is important. But before we can work towards making progress, we need to understand the dynamics. As an attorney, you have a unique look into the criminal justice system. Walk us through some of the dynamics and and why it's important for the business community to be engaged in these conversations. Yeah, Joe, I mean, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Look, uh, both Senator Britt, Britt and I, we both work in the justice system as attorneys. I started my legal career uh, as a public interest attorney at the Council for Children's Rights, representing a lot of underprivileged children and families. Uh, and that's where, for me, it was eye-opening when you see so many mothers that can't even afford to feed their children, much less pay their court fees and fines. Um, and then if you go further up in the justice system, into the adult criminal justice system, you got so many folks who are looking for second chances and opportunities. And unfortunately, the way our justice system is set up, it essentially, you know, sucks people in, chews them up, spits them back out again and again. It's a vicious cycle from everything from money bail, which restricts your ability to be able to keep a good paying job or your housing because your inability to post bond from the criminal record that gives you collateral consequences, which affect your ability to get student grants, again, housing. 
Uh, so there's so many critical issues. And for me, I've always believed that government doesn't need to be big or small, but it needs to be compassionate and effective. And I'm proud to say uh, justice reform is one of those places that both Republicans and Democrats have been able to work together. Uh, I think this is an issue that folks across North Carolina care about, they're passionate about. Uh, we genuinely believe in forgiveness, even from a religious background and giving folks second chances and opportunities. And I'm proud to work with folks like Senator Britt and so many others, both Democrats and Republicans, to exactly do that, give folks a chance at economic justice. A lot of these issues aren't right or left or simple right or wrong issues. And when we look at uh, the economic perspective of justice reform, oftentimes our unwillingness to implement tremendous justice reforms leads to barriers to economic inclusion, especially for so many people of color. And if we have enough, if we, if we want to have a North Carolina that works for all of us and make sure that we're building people instead of prisons, this is a great way uh, to come together, to work together, uh, to help people in the economy move forward. Senator Muhammad, thank you for that. Senator Britt, I want to um, transition over to you. As you heard, the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance believes that the business community has a responsibility to help drive racial equity in the business community. It's one of our key strategies as an organization. But at the same time, we hear that bipartisanship is dead and every issue that lawmakers tackle is partisan. Do you believe it's possible to get lasting criminal justice reform accomplished at the state level? And if you do, what what gives you that optimism? Well, I will say that I've got that optimism based on uh, my experience in the last three terms that I've been serving in the state Senate. A lot of the things that are not done in a bipartisan nature is more conjecture and debate and done on social media, done in the media. As far as what we actually do here at the General Assembly building, uh, there is quite a bit of criminal justice reform that has taken place in the last decade. And, you know, personally that I've worked on in the past five years or so, uh, prior to uh, working with Senator Muhammad on a number of things this session, I worked on a number of things with uh, Senator Floyd McKissick, as well as Senator Jay Chaudhry in previous sessions. So I, I would say I'm 100% optimistic of seeing criminal justice reform happen because based on experience, it does. It's not, it's not one of those issues that is as partisan as what other issues are. We do have a lot of issues in this building that do become very partisan and are voted on on those lines, but there have been a lot of criminal justice efforts that we've received in the Senate, at least, a unanimous support of very early on in sessions. The nature of things in the House are a little bit different, but when it comes to criminal justice reform, you know, like I said, we do have several people in, in the Senate that work together very well. I work real good with Senator Fitch, Senator Muhammad, uh, Senator Cindy Batch, who's in her first term in the Senate, who was over in the House. And I think that we've been able to accomplish a lot in the last couple of sessions and, and will continue to. And we've got some bills that are moving through the House now that I think we'll see the finish line here shortly. Senator Brett, thank you for that. I want to stay with you for a minute. Um, I know you and Senator Muhammad have been able to really work diligently towards bipartisan solutions on uh, the challenges in the criminal justice um, system and, and focusing on uh, reforms to it. You've been able to put together a few bills like Senate Bill 300, Senate Bill uh, 301 that have not garnered maybe a lot of media attention, but could have a sizable impact on the future of our workforce. Share with us about these bills and why they're so important. So Senate Bill 300 uh, is the criminal justice reform bill that's kind of a criminal justice reform omnibus that deals with a lot of the issues with ensuring that we weed out any bad apples in law enforcement, also ensuring that law enforcement 
receive the proper mental health services that they need. Uh, ensuring that law enforcement agencies are able to hire law enforcement officers, knowing what their background is. We've also got pieces in there that deal with some of the nuisance crimes that people receive criminal records for in our state, which are mainly tied to uh, substance abuse and mental health issues, that we can still have the tool to charge for those crimes, but also have the carrot there that the charge is dismissed or deferred so long as the person gets help or doesn't reoffend. Senate Bill 300 is just an all-encompassing bill that has a lot of different pieces in it. Senate Bill 300 is a step further in the uh, in the line of expunctions. We did pass the Second Chance Act last session. We passed it in the Senate very quickly. It sat in the House and stalled. Quite frankly, I believe until the George Floyd incident took place, the House may not have passed the Second Chance Act. Uh, there were still some things that the Second Chance Act did not clear up. And it went a long way uh, to allow for multiple expunctions of misdemeanor convictions. But there are still many people with felony convictions that can't get employment, can't get housing, can't get loans because of those felonies on their record. And the reason those felonies are on their record is because they have a subsequent guilty misdemeanor that might have been 30 years ago. One example that I used on the floor was I had a client that came to my office uh, who had a 1991 conviction for a forgery and had a 1993 conviction for a driving while impaired charge at a record level five, meaning that he had never had a DWI before. He paid court costs fine, did 24 hours community service, walked out the door. Uh, but that person, even with the Second Chance Act in effect, could not get an expunction because of that DWI. Senate Bill 301 now would allow that person to get the expunction. It would also allow an individual who had multiple felonies up to three to get an expunction, so long as the second and third one had 20 years pass. Uh, what we've dealt with and what I've seen at, in my career as a prosecutor, which was about five and a half years, and then my career as a defense attorney, which is another right at 13 years now, it, is that most of these people that are coming through the court system that are getting multiple felonies, it is because they have something going on in their life, rather it be substance abuse or mental health related, and they're committing a crime to feed their habit because they don't have the help they need and we don't have the help they need or they're not taking advantage of the help that they need to be on the right track. So they commit multiple felonies over a period of you know two or three years. Let's say 10 years later, they get straight. Well, they still can't get them off the record because we don't allow but for one felony to come off. And this will change that. Now, a couple other things that we changed in previous sessions, which gives me optimism that this will pass as well, is we changed the time that you had to wait on a felony expunction to 10 years from 15. We changed the time on a misdemeanor, nonviolent misdemeanor from 10 to 5. We changed expunctions to where you used to only be able to get one in a lifetime for not guilties and dismissals to an unlimited for not guilties and dismissals. So, you know, Senate Bill 301 does a lot uh, to go a step further than what the Second Chance Act. I actually think that it's a little bit better bill because the people that we really need to help and the people that are really hindered from getting jobs are these people who have these felony convictions from years ago that have proven that they can be productive citizens, that we want to be able to get adequate housing. We want to be able to get good jobs. We want to be able to have them contribute to the tax base. And that felony from decades ago prevents them from doing that. And this just gets more and more people back in the job market, back in the housing market, 
and is really a jobs bill and would absolutely help to improve our economy. I like the way you characterize that, Senator Brett, as a jobs bill. And and we at the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance couldn't agree more uh, about the importance of these bills and really the lasting impact it's going to have uh, for future workforce. We're, we're constantly talking about the need for uh, recruiting and retaining uh, talent, uh, both those who are already in market, but externally as well, and, and being able to unlock the potential that just right here in the state of North Carolina is is tremendous. Senator Muhammad, I want to go, go back to you. Uh, I know I don't have to remind you you're in the minority party in Raleigh, but I know that can make things difficult at times to get things done that are important to you. Share with us how you and Senator Britt have really been able to forge this partnership and work together to make great strides in reforming the criminal justice system. Paint us a picture, Senator Muhammad, of, of how yeah. these discussions take place. No, Joe, no secret. Yeah, we're in the minority party and it's very difficult. Our state's gone through times where the Republicans are in the minority. And for me, I can't take any type of, I don't want to personally take any blame for whatever Democrats have done to Republicans in the past or, or vice versa. For me, I'm here to do a job, right? We leave our, our family. I have a very young family that you mentioned earlier seven, five, and, and, a, and a one-year-old with my lovely wife that we're trying to raise. I've spent a lot of my time doing public interest law. You got folks like Senator Britt, who's also an attorney. He's got he's raising his beautiful family as well. And I think um, all elected officials at the end of the day, where you're serving in local government, school board, city council, county commission, or in the general assembly, everyone comes to public office for good reason. And they want to put a good faith effort in improving people's lives from the day they come in and going forward and before they arrive. Well, that's where you have to start, I think. Uh, and for me, I think that begins with communication. Um, so if you don't talk to each other, if you don't have a conversation, if you're only going to social media or if you're just giving the floor speeches that offend the other side, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to come together and work together to solve the critical issues of the day. And I think that's what this is about, whether it's economic development, whether creating quality public schools, protecting our water and air, justice reforms. I think the people of North Carolina, people across the Charlotte region, want both Republicans and Democrats to come together and solve their problems. They don't want to see Washington, D.C. like tactics down here at our General Assembly in Raleigh because folks have significant problems. And when you look at a lot of the bills and our ability to accomplish this, I think Senator Britt is one of the few folks that I've been able to work together with. Maybe it's because he has an attorney background as well. Lawyers generally are pretty good at being able to look at both sides of the issues and, and filter out bad bills and, and figure out a way to support good quality bills and figure out consensus. Both Senator Britt and I, I believe we started talking in December of last year. You had the House Speaker who set up his committee on justice reforms. You had Governor Cooper's task force, uh, which had a number of folks providing public input, listening sessions, justice-involved individuals coming and speaking about various issues. And a lot of this stuff started back in the summer. You heard Senator Britt talk about the murder of George Floyd, how that helped us get the Second Chance Act passed. And I think North Carolina and the rest of the country saw what happened last summer. And they really want us to work together and figure out ways to increase police accountability, transparency, ways to solve people's critical issues and make sure that they have good paying jobs and housing and second chances and opportunities in this economy. And, and that's where a lot of these conversations have begun. I'm thankful that Senator Britt has been willing to speak with me and work with some of the other folks that he's mentioned as well. There's some other great Republicans that I've been honored to work with as well, like Senator Warren Daniel and Senator Mike Lee. Uh, we've had a great working relationship with each other. And, and again, I think it all comes down to having a conversation and talking to each other and both Republicans, Democrats, understanding that you're here to do a job. You've got constituents that have needs and we need to put aside a lot of the, excuse my language, the BS drama that 
we often see in the media to actually solve people's problems. Senator Mohammed, it's refreshing to hear your perspective on that. A Democrat from Charlotte can work with a Republican from Eastern North Carolina um, who has beautiful wall art in his office, by the way, that I think I may have been a little distracted by when, when I was introducing the senator. But nevertheless, I want to get back to um, legislative process here as we're kind of looking ahead. Share with us where we are um, in the legislative process on these bills, Senate Bill 300 and Senate Bill 301 that, that you and Senator Britt have been uh, actively working on. Senator Britt can tell you a lot more about this than I can because he's in the majority part party. Uh, the Republicans still control the state house as well. And we've had a number of bills that we've worked together on with Senator Britt, Senator Daniels, Senator Lee to pass out of the Senate unanimously, out of committee unanimously, which is refreshing. And now they're in the House, like you heard Senator Britt talk about. And I've been bugging him a lot. And again, having conversations, you got to go reach out to the folks in the House as well to get things moving. And things have been a little slow, but I know Senate Bill 300 was in committee about two weeks ago. I know one of the issues, the hiccups that we had in there was uh, the body cam provisions after the, uh, the killing of Andrew Brown Jr., I know folks like myself and other folks from the Legislative Black Caucus work with Senator Britt to get consensus so family members could get access to video to see the final moments of their friends or their loved ones. Because right now you have to go through a judicial process to get access to that video for public release. Sometimes law enforcement might drag their feet as far as uh, providing some sort of disclosure to the family. But unfortunately, that provision was taken out in the House uh, when it was in committee there. So I'm hopeful that folks like Representative Reeves and, and some others will be able to get provisions like that back in, which passed unanimously out of the Senate. But um, I think it's a process. I would toss it to Senator Britt, hopefully provide you an update because I myself want to know where a lot of these bills are and hopefully uh, make sure that they pass before we're done with session. Yeah, I think that's a great segue, Senator Muhammad. Um, Senator Britt would love your perspective on this and, you know, just kind of double down on what can we as the business community in the Charlotte region do to help you and Senator Muhammad ensure these bills become law. So right now, and this happens about every session, you know, there are certain bills that are House bills that are sitting in the Senate. There are certain Senate bills that are sitting in the House. And typically what goes on, uh, Whenever we start to get towards the end of the session, there are certain things that these House members have worked on hard and they won't. There are certain things the Senate members have worked on hard and they won't. And everybody up here seems to think that they have the best ideas, uh, every individual. And every individual wants to see their bill come through the finish line. Sometimes we have similar legislation uh, where if there's similar legislation, that similar legislation may be used as a uh, bargaining chip to move that similar legislation in the other chamber. Uh, sometimes there are certain bills that maybe if someone in leadership really wants and, you know, we're debating the budget, some of those, some of those policy pieces kind of get hung up in that same debate. But typically what happens is there is a slowdown during this time period towards the end of the session where the Senate and the House uh, leadership meet and kind of decide, okay, these are our bills that we really want to see passed. And what do you want in exchange for these? And, and that's a, a bargaining process that's kind of always taken place here, from my understanding, uh, even back when the Democrat Party was in control, is there was always that sort of bargaining between the House and the Senate uh, as far as which bills they would be able to push through on each side, because even though it garnered uh, unanimous support in, in, the, in the Senate, doesn't necessarily mean they have unanimous support in the House. So uh, in, in selling it to the House, sometimes they may have to say, well, look, we, you know, the senators want this bill. Uh, you as House members want this bill. Let's, let's try to, you know, work together to get both of these through. And 
you know, the other the, the other bill that maybe there's a disagreement on at May 6th. Senate Bill 300 and 301 are both part of that discussion. The House knows, uh, the members of the House know and, and recognize those are two pieces of legislation that we really want to see passed, that the Senate, Senate really wants to see passed. And they're going to want to see certain things passed before we pass theirs. And it's a situation where if we pass their legislation first, is our legislation going to sit? So, you know, we, we want to make sure that there's a that there's an agreement if we move what they want us to move for them. That's kind of where it is. So it's it's still moving along. Like I said, it's a process. That's part of the process. And um, I'm thinking within the next week or so, a lot of this stuff will be be clearing up a great deal. You've even got politics, Joe, between both chambers. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really good perspective, our leaders in the Charlotte region to hear that even though policy can get unanimously supported in, in one chamber, there are um, those chamber politics between House and Senate that uh, take place uh, before um, meaningful legislation can get across the finish line. So we look forward to uh, locking arms with you gentlemen to help make this happen and just appreciate your support and leadership on these issues. We had a great conversation today. You gave us a, a look of the state of play, a look into the policies of Senate Bill 300 and 301, and you gave us a glimpse into the future of these bills and can't thank you both enough for your time today and uh, the opportunity to engage with both of you uh, on this work. So thanks so much and talk soon. Thanks, Joe. Learn more about the Charlotte Regional Business Alliance at charlotteregion.com.